Everybody, 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 drop your buff, stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. I'm back after a hiatus where we had the incredible Eliza Orleans sub in for me. And I thought like, wow, I might be losing my job here. She was so good. Well, (laughs) you're not losing your job because I was, she was fantastic. I was quite lost without you. I think I (laughs) underappreciated the the work that you do in sort of summarizing the episodes because suddenly I was tasked with, you know, driving the ship. And I feel like if we did not have Eliza with us, the ship would have surely sunk. Thank goodness (laughs) she she was a lovely buoy. But yeah, uh, credit to you for like really uh, getting these recaps uh, up to snuff. Wow. Okay. My performance review is coming up. It's looking good. Yeah, it's looking good so far. We'll see how today goes. Yeah. (laughs) We have a big episode nine here of Survivor 42, where we have two people going home. Of course, we lost Roxroy and Tori. Evan, high level thoughts on this episode? Uh, High level thoughts would be two things. One, it was just, uh, I think over half the episode was tribal council. So I just Mm -hmm. missed like the challenges in this episode. Um, We didn't have a reward challenge and the immunity challenge took five minutes because of the wind. So I sort of just missed the competition aspect of the show. I feel like we just did camp life and we did tribal. So it was just a lot of strategizing, a lot of talking and little action, which I think sort of helps balance the episodes in general. So that was uh, one takeaway. And then I just think this episode tremendously lacked story editing. The more I think about it, because I was thinking about it, you know, you and I talked briefly last night, and I've been thinking about it this morning, and I was listening to know-it-alls, as, as you and I both do, and I just couldn't help but feel like there were so many critical pieces to this missing from the story that played out. And I also kept thinking from the perspective of a new watcher of the show that does not come into this series with 40 or 41 seasons of context. I just thought there was a tremendous amount missing. That's my takeaway. Um, What about you? I do agree that there was not nearly enough breathing room in this episode. What's been so nice about 42 is the amount of breathing room we've had, the amount of camp life, the amount of social interaction that we've had that is also informing votes and sort of progressing the storylines. And like, I think about High and Romeo and how we saw them connect, but then High doesn't like Romeo ultimately. And then Romeo casts this petty vote for High. And then we get a little bit of fallout from that at the beginning of this episode. And that's so refreshing. I love to see how these things sort of twist and turn and the roller coaster of relationship building and crumbling that can happen over the course of a season of Survivor. But in this episode, it was like because we had two different teams, we had to go to two different camps to see their strategy. Then we had to go to two different tribal councils, which, of course, the tribal council, I think, was obviously the highlight of the episode. And there was so much discussed there, but we didn't really see where it came from. And it would have been really nice, especially earlier in the season, didn't even have to be this episode, to get a little bit of conversation about race. I mean, like Drea pointed out, there are four black people this season. That's incredible, right? They haven't seen 41, of course. But 
just recognizing that and what does that mean for her? What does that mean for her game? We saw her say that she came into this game knowing she would have to think about how she's talking, the way she's speaking and the way she's communicating because other people are coming into this game with their own unconscious biases that could impact her game and that she has to like think about molding herself to placate other people. Well, we didn't get any of that until this point. And while it was very powerful in the moment, I think it would have been more powerful if this had been a greater through line. But all of this to say, I think that the episode itself, while I think the the boys tribe, I thought that their strategy, it was more straightforward, right? That we saw. But I think there was so much interesting stuff going on with the vote with Drea and was Marianne going to be the decoy or was Tori going to be the decoy and Lindsay standing up to Jonathan and calling him an idiot and she called him an idiot to Tori. And so there's but we didn't actually see the context of those conversations and it would have been so, so great if ever we needed a two hour episode. I don't know if it needed to be the hourglass. I think it needed to be this where we have two people go two people going home two separate tribal councils. I think just think I agree that it needed more breathing room. And one thing that you you mentioned just now that had me thinking was this idea of like, could the conversations around race been brought up before this episode? And I think that one piece of the puzzle that remains quite confusing to me was prior to last night's episode, Marianne and Chanel were both on the outs and Drea was in a majority alliance with these eight people that did not involve those two other black women. And I'm not saying that that, that's of course her prerogative, but to suddenly have this narrative conveyed to us in this episode that they need to look out for one another when we saw the direct opposite in all of the episodes leading up to this. We we actually saw contention between Drea and Marianne at that one tribal council. I think it was in the last episode or the one before that. Mm-hmm. So it's just not a narrative that we've seen on the show at all. So to suddenly bring it in in this way in which Marianne flat out stated, like, I will sacrifice my gameplay for this vote. I will not vote for Drea on principle Where was that energy at previous tribals? Not to say she needed to articulate it, but like we clearly had this alliance of eight that did not involve, that involved one black woman and two of the black women were on the outs. And we never had Drea even give us insight into her perspective. Maybe Drea was planning all along to betray that eight. But again, in terms of like the story editing, I think we needed more to explain Drea's mindset leading up to last night's vote. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting, the position that Mary Ann's in is very complicated and nuanced, I think, because if you think back to the merge, like she was in the majority alliance and Jonathan put her in the majority alliance, but Jonathan also threw her under the bus with the majority alliance as like sort of a decoy. We're willing to get rid of her, but actually secretly we're not. And so she feels like she's part of it, but then she's not. And it would be... I just think it's like interesting to see where it would be interesting to know where she sees herself fitting in with this group and and what her relationship is specifically with Drea. Yes. Prior to all of this. And that's why in many senses, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but I'm reminded in episodes like last night, how ill-equipped Jeff is as a host of this show in 2022. 
And what I'm craving from all of this, and I think what I keep circling is this idea of story editing and how I really could use a post-mortem conversation on this season, a long-form discussion. I know we've had panels, the Survivor Diversity Campaign has done panels in the past, but I think we could use one in-world. Like, I feel like it's incumbent on the show, if this is going to be such a large part of the narrative, in 42 as it was 41, I think we need it to be brought up in ways outside of tribal council. Like, I think that there's more work to be done from the show itself. Outside of just, you know, the CBS mandate on diversifying the cast, there are clearly conversations that need to be had, right, that would be helpful to this audience. There's a, there's a reason why... A lot of the concerns uh, that were spoken about last night in Tribal Council were about the fan base, right? And I think it's mm-hmm. worth addressing in world, in the show, what they mean when they talk about this fan base. Because they're not talking about, they're talking about a specific subset of the American culture. And I think it's important that we stop circling that. And this is this is nothing they did wrong, any of the cast members. But it's like, I, again, I just, I think it's important for the show if it's going to keeping address at tribal to find some way to integrate it, whether that be a long form discussion at the reunion, I'm not so sure. But again, I just, I couldn't help but be reminded about, you know, that just Jeff was not savvy enough to sort of uh, administer that conversation last night. Administer, yeah. I yeah. don't think it was Jeff's greatest moment, but I, and I want to say that when I go to the when I go to my thoughts on the episode, I immediately go to like, okay, well, what could have been improved? And I think there was a lot to improve on this episode. I also think it was a very good episode, and I think that we got a lot of really interesting stuff. I think the Roxbury vote was fascinating, and um, you know, has been overshadowed by uh, like a much more important uh, tribal council. But I think that that dynamic was fascinating, the, the way that he tried to put together a boys' alliance and Omer just not being in on that and High not going along with the what he called misogyny club and then them managing to flip that vote where Romeo was like for sure going home. I think that was like a really, really, really great vote. And, you know, I think that alone would have been a great episode. And then we had uh, this huge tribal council uh, where Drea and Marianne talk about seeing two black jury members as the first jury members. Uh, So I I do think like it was there was a lot to love in this episode. But honestly, I think there would have been a lot more to love if it was a little longer. Yeah, I I concur. Also, I I couldn't help but wonder, to borrow a turn of phrase from Ms. Carrie Bradshaw, I couldn't help but wonder what how how this would have played out had this just been a regular tribal instead of doing the two tribe Mm -hmm. split thing. Had we just had the 10 of them going, one person eliminated, because there were so many variables at play here that were instigated by this, you know, change up in the rules that this and and, and the argument in favor of this is that if they would have done you know, that tribal council, it would have been Romeo or Tori inevitably, and they might have had a boring episode. Um, But the argument I would use uh, against that would be, well, then just do two votes in one episode, but not with the split tribe, just, you know, have an accelerated Mm -hmm. episode as they've they've done in the past. Um, This certainly got an interesting result, but it felt very situational to a twist in the game. And I guess I would, I'll just always be curious about sort of like how the numbers uh, would have played out had they just played the game in a more traditional way. Yeah, totally. Let's recap a little bit. I think we've touched on a lot of the stuff we want to talk about. See, you're steering the ship. 
little deeper into it. Uh, so we open up with a post-tribal scene, as I mentioned before, where we've got this battle between Romeo and High. And of course, Romeo cast the petty vote for High at the previous tribal council, where he said, you know, I knew that he was never going to go home, but I wanted to see him squirm. Romeo seems to have read something in High where he knows that his, I don't want to call him unstable because that's impl- suggesting something that that's not what I mean. But he, I think he sees that he he could be made easily nervous, right? And maybe could lose his cool. And so I think that's what Romeo did. He was poking the bear and it worked. And High came back and he started asking everybody who voted for me, who voted for me, knowing that it was Romeo and just trying to, by process of elimination, bear that out in front of everybody. And that's what he does. And Romeo is just like, we get this great confessional from Romeo where he's gleefully talking about how he was successful in sort of masterminding a meltdown from high in front of his allies that Romeo hopes will have high's allies seeing him in not such a great light, maybe not so reliable. Maybe if something doesn't go his way, he will get emotional and maybe not make the smartest strategic decisions. I'm not sure that he went all the way with it, but it was really interesting to watch. I think Lydia called this on Twitter, bottom on bottom crime. And uh, it's just been a very fascinating thing to watch this relationship between Romeo and High that never really got off the ground. And it's really quickly devolving. Okay, can I be a conspiracy theorist for a moment? Absolutely. I think there is a little level of uh, Tammy Brown acting happening from high here. And I here is my evidence. Um, Lydia mentioned during her exit interview that she that it had been conveyed to her by high that he was trying to play a perfect strategic game. But it was not just about winning a million dollars. It was about how he got there, all of the steps to get there. And I think that there's something to be said. And also, I think Hai is a gay person who grew up on reality television and recognizes that moments don't happen. You have to make them. Mm -hmm. And so this felt a little bit of like, I'm coming back. There's nothing to lose here. I mean, like, figuring out whoever cast that vote, whether it was Romeo, whether Romeo, it doesn't matter. It's one vote. It's insignificant. This is no longer a game in which past votes cast against you factor in in any way whatsoever, significant or insignificant. I think he came back and he wanted to make a television moment. He knows how these episodes start. But the conspiracy theorist in me comes out because I have to imagine if you're as big a fan of the show as High appears to be. And if you are trying to play a perfect strategic game, that means that you are aware of all of the strategic machinations of the show. You would recognize that there has not been an out LGBTQ plus winner since season 15, over 25 seasons. I just have a hard time buying the fact that an out LGBTQ person who had another out LGBTQ person come to him and and not only an out LGBTQ person, but like a newly out LGBTQ person, right? It's very clear that in this dynamic, High is sort of like the elder, if you will. I have a hard time believing that High would not see any kind of worth in at least working with with Romeo a bit or or bringing him forward in recognizing the importance of, if not me, him. I could be completely full of shit on this one, but I just think if High is as big a fan of the show as he purports to be, and it seems that, yeah, he's given reason to believe that's the case, 
I just don't get why you'd go against another LGBTQ person, particularly someone like Romeo, who, with all due respect to Romeo, Romeo's not getting votes in the finale if he gets there. And I think High is smart enough to recognize that, being the high-level strategist that he is. So anyway, I just, I don't know. Is any of that making Mm. any sense? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Uh, I'm stuck on... Is our last LGBTQ winner Todd? Well, I said out LGBTQ plus winner. Well, isn't Michelle bisexual? This is something I've never known. I don't know. I've just always heard that, but I've never heard it confirmed. It doesn't matter. It does matter. <laughs> I want to know. It does matter. Um, I know it matters, but I mean, no, no, like, no. I mean, like, like it let's... doesn't matter in terms of the, the point that you're making. Well, no, okay, but fair enough. But let's reach out to Michelle and we'll come back. We'll try and come back with an answer for our next <laughs> yeah, episode. So Michelle, are you bi? But I just feel like, you know, these conversations about representation on the show extend beyond just POC winners. It extends into, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, we've never had a disabled winner in Survivor history, et cetera. And we've only had what I think, you know, maybe I'm wrong with this Michelle intel. But what I think is two out LGBTQ plus winners, never a female or non-binary winner, et cetera. So... I just think that High would be aware of these things and would not be gunning for somebody else, especially little Romeo, little Romeo. So anyway, I just thought it was, uh, there were a lot of sparks flying, but it felt a little bit like, you know, you there's like a, uh, there's some housewives moment where it's like, you want to get loud with me? I'll get loud. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's, that's what it was giving for me. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, prob- there's probably an aspect. You're probably right that he's creating drama for good television and work there's like all the power there's some element of that i'm sure he knows what's up but i really get the feeling that this is a genuine dislike that they have for each other fair enough if anyone is listening to this podcast that might have intel feel free to leave us (laughs) a voice note alter your voice whatever you need to do yeah, get the scream uh, voice alter. Mm, that'd be fun. So the next morning is when we get this moment where Roxroy is pitching the all-male alliance. I think we see him pitch it to Mike and to Jonathan first. And of course, they're all in. Like, they're thrilled about this because it really only benefits those two, in my opinion. And then... He's like, I'm going to go get High and I'm going to get Omer. I feel like this was like a really bad read from Roxroy. I don't know why he thought that High and Omer would be in for this. It's just, I just don't know what the cell was. And I don't think we really got to see what the cell was. Or if we did see, it was just a really bad cell. And I thought that it was great that Omer and High just were like, played it off fine with rocks where like sounds great and then to us we're like absolutely not on omer's front it was i can't beat these guys when it comes down to the five of us so i'm just going to be gone and for high well he's not interested in joining the misogyny club which i love that he said that and i love that they aired it me too it's also just bad strategy to get all five people together it's so much smarter to like you know have a group of three and be like hey can you go talk to this person and you go talk to this person and sort of like convey the message because that way it doesn't feel so much like a pack coming together but yeah i mean like yes it is the misogyny club but if you compare this to like 
the machismo that we've had in past seasons from like all guys alliances. Like I'm thinking particularly about um, uh, 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 the season with dreams, uh, uh, Fiji, like the awful mm-hmm. men on Fiji. It's just funny. Like w- how this is the misogyny alliance when like we've had such <laughs> like misogynist, like disgusting misogyny on this show through the years. And not that this isn't misogynistic. And I agree with you. I'm glad that we, that they aired it. But it's just funny, sort of like the bar of misogyny now, when like before such such a deep misogyny went completely unchecked, um, both by other players and then by the fandom. So I, I think it's like in great... worlds apart. Oh my god, Rodney and yeah, the darkest of the dark. But anyway, so um, so anyway, so yes, I really enjoyed this moment, and I think it's just entertaining as a viewer to have players like Hi and Omar sort of successfully bullshitting but then it it feels nice to like as an audience member to feel like we're in on like the the um the people making fun of other people sort of like uh bursting the balloon i i sort of like that feeling as an audience member yeah yeah agreed let's go to the immunity challenge where jeff announces the twist that they are going to be split into two different teams it feels like I know they did this in 41. They've done it a couple times and it just feels like it's too early. We literally just went through this whole thing where it was like, you're not merged. Right. Now you have to earn the merge. Then we have one vote and then now you're split into teams again. And not only that, I feel like if they're going to do this, which I hope they don't do it again, I feel like if they're going to do this, it has to be an endurance challenge because then it relies more on you know, how much you want it versus the fact that like, hey, if a big gust of wind comes up and you get knocked off of there, it has nothing to do with your performance capabilities. So I feel like on top of me and us, it sounds like not loving this split, I feel like the challenge itself did not fit this particular change up in gameplay. I feel like you needed something that allowed them more of an opportunity to fight for it. Yeah, and I think the challenge is designed that way. It's just that, like, this is the second time the second water time. has intervened. Yeah, Get, Maybe we need some new challenges. Or a new location. Or a new location. <laughs> How about that? How about that? Yeah. So, yeah, like we said, we're playing. they're playing that pyramid foothold in the water challenge. Of course, the evolution of the Kathy Vavrick O'Brien challenge of bouncing on the dog. <laughs> <laughs> And they're playing not only for immunity, but the person from each team who is able to last longer than the person on the other team will also win beef and veggie kebabs. Okay. Yuck. (laughs) I just loved hearing Jeff say veggie kebabs. Also a little bit of a downgrade from that Applebee's. Yeah, and the stew last season. I mean, there's so oh, much the talk stew, about the stew. The stew. That's where Xander got his stew. And now we've got kebabs. Okay. So we are split into two teams. The blue team is made up of Drea, Jonathan, Tori, Lindsay, and Marianne. And the orange team is made up of Romeo, High, Roxroy, Mike, and Omer. So what happens here? High wins immunity on the orange team. Jonathan wins immunity for the blue team. And he also wins the kebabs by outlasting high. Anything to say about this challenge? Um, it just wasn't that entertaining to watch again. It's just like, it just was, (laughs) they were falling like dominoes and I get it. The water happened. Yeah. It just, um, 
in addition to feeling like I prefer a reward and an immunity challenge, but if I'm only going to get one, I want a long challenge. I want people to root for and strategy and this person's ahead, but then the puzzle comes up and all of a sudden who was behind and this just felt like so inevitable. And also it's like, if you start to see them tipping, like Romeo, for instance, part of me was like, cause my mom, I was like 15 minutes behind in the episode and my mom sent me a text message being like something about Romeo. So then when I was watching the challenge, I was like, oh, he's gonna make it. Like he's gonna win immunity. Right. <laughs> But then all of a sudden I saw him like wavering and I was like, okay, he's from the get-go is like any second now he's falling and then lo and behold. So it just wasn't exciting. Evan, your mom is still watching. My mom is still watching. My mom is listening to Drop Your Buffs. My mom no. is like, yes, my mom is like fully, she gets it. She is in the world of Survivor now. Wow. Hi, mom. She should send another voicemail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom, well, I was going to say if you're listening, but she's listening. Mom, please voicemail <laughs> us with your thoughts after next week's episode, and we will be sure to get you in the Drop Your Buffs family. Oh, speaking of which, wait, 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 wait. While I remember, I want to make sure I put the um, the emoji out for this week's recap. So let me just look. In my, I want to use one of the, oh, you know what I want, um, if it's okay with you. Sean, can we do the face melting emoji? It's uh, one of the new yeah, emojis. Yeah, well, we're going to be testing our listeners if they've updated their iOS. Mm. So I feel like the face melting emoji has really, um, it's developed a big fandom and, and quickly, kind of like a reverse Jonathan, if you will. So I would love to see <laughs> the face melt integrated into the comments of our latest recap. If you're listening to this podcast and liking it, you can rate, comment, review all of that. That's appreciated, but you can also leave the face melt emoji. Yeah. First update your iOS. There's some great new emojis. I love yeah, the one really where... He's covering his eyes, but looking through them. So good. It's always a tricky time when you update the iOS because there's so many emojis and you want to use them and you don't know if when you send it to somebody, they're just going to get the question mark box. Right. I know. So, okay, now's the test. Show us that we can send the face melt emoji by posting it. <laughs> Great. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I have to watch my language now that your mom is listening. No, no, no. She swears. Let's she throws go. the box around. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go and talk about the strategy at the men's team, the orange strategy. Grr. So this is, again, Omer, Roxroy, Romeo, hi, Mike. Should be easy. Should just get Romeo out. That's what all of them want, right? But like, Roxroy sunk his own ship here because of his pitch for the all-men's alliance, which uh, it, it's interesting that he pitched that when he did because it was not necessary. They were already couched within this bigger alliance. I don't know that it was the time that they needed to, they weren't, it wasn't time to turn on each other and kind of like come together in a sub alliance. And so what he did here was maybe overplay his hand or play it too early. And so it kind of put the target on his back. And so he felt comfortable all day just being like, yeah, it's Romeo, right guys? It's, it's Romeo. This is a really easy one. But Omar was really annoyed by this. And I think what Omar said was, that Roxroy is too rigid in his gameplay and I can't mold him. I can't shape him. And that's not somebody that I want to work with. And I really appreciate Omer's so great. Omer has Absolutely. really emerged as a really, really great, quiet, strategic player because he's managed to shape the vote on many occasions 
and always turns out in his best interest. And in this case, he's identifying this threat of like, I can't, I can't shape this person. That's not good for me. I need to get him out. And not only that, but the plan that he has involved me in, I'm on the bottom of most likely. And so it's just not for me. So Omer starts, you know, the campaign and he goes and he talks to Romeo and he says, look, Romeo, it's you, but I've got this other plan. I want to take out Roxroy. I'll talk to High. He talks to High. Somehow, like, he gets High on board, I guess, because High's also not down with the Men's Alliance. Maybe this is the opportunity to take Roxroy out. And then... High goes to talk to Mike, right? Because High's got this close relationship with Mike that he has formed and he needs to get the blessing so that he's not blindsiding one of his closest allies in the game. And somehow he manages to talk Mike into it. Mike's not a big fan, but uh, he manages to do it. And I think this is just like classic Survivor, really great gameplay from Omer and then High to be flexible enough to go along with the plan in this moment despite having to pass on getting Romeo out, but it also leaves Romeo as an option for the future. It's like, we're going to have to come together after we don't know who's going to leave on the other team. And we still kind of need an easy target. You know, if, if the other team votes out Tori, for example, which is what happened, um, then that's one of our two easy targets gone, right? Like, and maybe the next round coming back together is not when we want to start cannibalizing ourselves. So it, it maintains an easy target for the next round also builds a potential bridge with Romeo uh, with High. So like, I feel like I feel like there's a lot of benefit to Omer. There's a lot of benefit to High. Not a lot of benefit to Mike necessarily, but he goes along with it. Well, in some senses, he was strong armed by High because, you know, you say he went along with it, but he had no choice because yeah. I think High was more doing damage control by saying, this is where it looks like things are going. I would love your sign off, like making him seem like he's a part of it. But at the end of the day, they have the majority with or without Mike. So yeah, mm. Mike's not in a great position in not only being an irrelevant vote here, but not really being clued into the strategy at all. And not for nothing, it's clear that Mike has no relationship with Romeo at all. And Romeo is now advancing. And as you pointed out, High sort of built a bridge in this moment with Romeo. Omar clearly has this relationship with Romeo now because he's sort of the one that put his neck out for him. If anything, it's like Mike's the one that's like, yeah, what's his deal? Also, I'm curious to learn more about like the relationship between Mike and High. How strong is that? Is that like final too strong? Or that's more like, hey, we've been playing the game together for the longest amount of time, but like when the timing is ripe, I'm willing to cut you off, you know, easily. I'm curious about the depth of their bond. Yeah, especially because Mike and Jonathan came together so closely and so seemed to be the ones who were all in on this guy's alliance because obviously it benefits them so much. And so I wonder, but I I do feel like I have gotten the sense that High and Mike are very closely bonded, um, either personally or, or just a, as game players, as a duo in the game, because they have been pretty much in lockstep ever since those early, I guess, the Jenny, after the Jenny boot. Right. And if you're high, I'm imagining, again, if you want to play a perfect survivor game, as he says he does, I think you want to bring Mike along really far and then clip him right at the end to show that like you're loyal, but you also are willing to make big moves. Like I feel like there's a lot of validity in like having this final two and taking them far. And then like, but also you can use it as an opportunity to prove your willingness to like, you know, be gritty and like get in the mud and play the game. Yeah, yeah. 
So let's just talk about the, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Let's just talk about their tribal, right? And then we can deal with the other team as as one item. So because it's pretty straightforward. So they go to tribal, uh, this orange team, and essentially what happens is Roxroy goes there. It's very clear he's going home because the second he sits down, he says, it's been a ch- pretty chill day. We haven't really uh, had to think too much about it. We have an obvious target and we acted like guys today. And I feel like this was just, uh, it was a really bad episode for Roxroy. And there's been some hints earlier in the season, you know, his nagging wife. Uh, There's just like a, and uh, like the way that he looked down upon all the younger people in his tribe and, it just feels like with the men's alliance and the acting like guys of it all, there's a little, like, it feels a little misogynistic. Well, yes. And beyond that, it kind of is like goes to show you how ingrained misogyny is into so many people in a way that I don't, I think a lot of people watching that will either have no reaction because they will just think that to be the truth. And I don't even think that, like, I think Roxroy let that off the tongue so easily because I don't think in his mind he was saying a controversial thing because in his mind, this is just a fact of life. He is presenting a fact, not an opinion, as he sees it. And so I think it's just a reminder of how many men move through this world with this sense of superiority um, that they don't even question or even see as such. So, yes, not a great episode for Roxroy, but... I appreciate seeing that perspective in a person because it's real, right? Like, I don't just want to see outstanding human beings that I'm rooting for on this show. Um, And I don't think it's as black and white as, like, heroes or villains. I think there's nuance here. And so I was thinking about, like, Roxroy's overall story. And for a player that went out this early in the game... We've got a lot from Roxroy's mm-hmm. edit, particularly when he, you know, went to the break the hourglass island, whatever we call that. Um, and we got some really great human moments yeah. from him, and we got this misogynist. And I, I think you, one can be both. One can be many things. And so, yeah. while I definitely think he is a misogynist, without question, I don't hate Roxroy. I think Roxroy was a really dynamic character this season. And so more than anything, I want more Roxroy's. Not to say I want more misogyny, that I do not want, (laughs) but I appreciate this idea of like, because we've seen a lot of people on the show who are just misogynists, and it's like, hey, at the end of the day, misogynists walk amongst us. We might know one or two or three or many. And so I I thought he got a really fully realized edit that I think, um, again, not a hero, but not a villain. Yeah, I think we talked a lot in 41 about one of your big complaints was that there were no villains, really. And I mean, like the best we came to, the closest we came to a villain was Shan, who was presented to us as a hero, right? Um, and it's all about, I think, the presentation and the material that you use, because these people, I mean, people are complex, everybody's complex, but it's what are you showing us that tells us that they're complex and adds to that storyline on TV. And I think in this season, they've really corrected that because we've got Roxroy, very complex figure. I think Jonathan, suddenly a very complex figure. No surprise there. Uh, And we've got Tori. I mean, like, we've got these great, interesting people. 
And I feel like there may be even more to come. Like, I mean, look at Romeo. Like, Romeo is quite fiery. And uh, and his disdain for high at the beginning of this episode was kind of fascinating. And it, it like we had seen glimpses of that before when he was talking about how Mike was so far up Jonathan's ass at the merge, and was just like kind of losing it a little bit, but also like played a very measured street strategic, smart, safe game in the pre merge. So it's really interesting to see these like complex figures develop and unravel at times. Right. I also think it's notable of course, Roxroy, as we've said, it gets voted out. Everybody votes for him. He votes for Romeo. Uh, it really reminded me uh, because, uh, of course, at this point last season, this is where we lost Nasir. And while there was a lot of strategy going on and the use of an extra vote and a, and a complicated vote split, um, it was quite straightforward in that Nasir went home here. And I feel like there's like a, a, a parallel here because... Nasir was a solid member of the Majority Alliance, and this twist presented the opportunity to take out that sort of like middling threat, right? And of course, the circumstances around what made the person a threat are different, but we lose Roxroy, who was sort of in a similar position, in my opinion, at this point in the game. He goes to the jury. The second he gets to the jury, he turns to Chanel and he says, Hi and Romeo got together. I hope they freeze. And it's like, on top of everything he said about women, he points to the two gay men on the tribe and is like, Those sneaky little bastards got me out. When in fact, maybe I mean, he was thinking is, of another word. <laughs> I. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, like, it felt a little homophobic. Okay. But on top of that, there's two things going on here. One, that he is automatically attributing credit to, for this vote to High and Romeo. Presumably High, because Romeo was in a position of no power and somebody flipped it, right? Two, Omer is disappeared in this. And so I think what it's telling me is outside of, I mean, Roxroy's perception of what's going on, maybe Omer is so good at hiding what he does and so unassuming that he can totally fly under the radar while making these big moves. So it's one or the other or probably a little bit of both. Okay, let's go check in with what was going on with the other team. And at camp, Jonathan wants Drea's idol out. And he tells Marianne that, okay, we're going to vote Drea out tonight. We want her idol out. But we're going to tell Drea that it's you, Marianne. And Marianne's a little bit like, uh, okay, but I'd really rather not be the decoy vote. And I don't love the idea that we're going for Drea because she has an idol because I have an idol. So now are we targeting idols? And we're just getting a little bit of sense of like, I don't want to be told what to do by Jonathan, which, which has been the case for Marianne thus far. Right. And so Marianne goes to Tori and Tori wants Drea to be the target because it keeps her off the chopping block. Of course, uh, this, this is the first time that Tori is vulnerable since the merge because she did not win immunity this round. And we get this really great scene where Jonathan goes to Lindsay. Now, 
Well, we get the introduction of a new character in Lindsay this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, a new contestant has joined the show. She's removed the purple, the purpleness of her and has become a fully realized, uh, <laughs> colorful cast member on this show. A hundred percent, because it's really interesting, the timing here, because we've seen Jonathan go to everybody. We even see him go to Drea and tell her to vote for Marianne. And then we see him go to Lindsay. And I thought like, okay, well, this could just be the sequence in which they're showing us. But he goes to Lindsay and says, okay, here's what's happening. This person's voting this way. This person's voting this way. We're targeting uh, Drea. Drea's going to vote for Marianne. And so he's coming to Lindsay after the plan is formed. And Lindsay doesn't really ha- like express that she has an issue with that. But what she does express is, your plan sucks. Your plan is flawed because Drea has an idol. We're targeting her because she has an idol. Have you never heard of vote splitting? Like, this is a basic survivor concept. And if Drea plays her idol, that means Marianne's going home. Marianne is our ally and has an idol and an extra vote that's for our use. So why are we not making Tori the decoy vote, which is what everybody is expecting? And... There's just this great exchange where Jonathan is not willing to listen to what Lindsay has to say, despite the fact that it is completely sound and a far better strategy than what Jonathan came up with. And Lindsay is just like banging her head, being like, I can't work with this big, dumb idiot. In addition to her being of complete sound mind, his reaction to her speaking mm-hmm. about misogyny, because this, you know, this was an episode uh, centered around race, but it also was an episode that sort of backgrounded misogyny. He made it seem like she was being, or not only made it seem, he articulated the fact that she was so hysterical and she needed to slow down and never did it read in any way like that at all. She was simply creating an argument of reason against his insanity. So... Mm-hmm. Again, speaking about the ways in which misogyny is so ingrained, because you did notice that she said she was sorry at one point, despite doing nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And again, it just, I think that's the patriarchy rearing its head where it's like, she's made to feel as though she needs to apologize for being who she is or acting the way she acts when he's the one in the wrong, but he's manipulated the situation to make her feel crazy. Um, It seemed in her confessional though, that she was sort of, you know, had some fortitude and and understood the fact that in reality, he was the crazy one. But I just thought that whole exchange was fascinating. It was a, a great emergence of Lindsay as a character on this show, but it also revealed to us a lot about, who Jonathan is, despite the fact that both the edit of Jonathan and Jonathan's uh, talking heads in the past have been hero, 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 climbed up those mountains, Jonathan, perfect dive, blah, blah, blah. And finally, we got to see more of Jonathan. And I think that the Jonathan stands are are shaking and not in the, the good kind of shaking. <laughs> Well, it's really interesting, this exchange, because not 10 minutes later in the episode, he's also going to be telling Drea that she is being aggressive. And Drea has to like not apologize, but say, no, Jonathan, it's not you. You're not racist. I'm not calling you racist. Like having to placate this person. And it's like, Jonathan, this is this is clearly something that is happening all the time for you. Shut up. 
And I can't believe that we haven't seen it until now. I mean, we've all known the Jonathan was going to turn out to be problematic. And <laughs> like <laughs> I've been saying that since day one, despite lusting after him. I have to say, I'm off the Jonathan train. I was off it weeks ago, but I couldn't. I wasn't on last week, so I couldn't say Listen, it. Listen, get back me. on the Aussie train with me and stay on <laughs> the Aussie train. I've never been off the Aussie train. Okay, well, I'm just saying, but like, one could argue you can't be on two trains at once. <laughs> well, yeah, watch me. It's 2022, <laughs> baby. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, but wait, yeah. I just want to say one thing, though. It does just go to show you the way in which, and I think this happens a lot with Joe, Joe Anglum on Survivor, where it's mm-hmm. like, this show can edit whether consciously or subconsciously, really bad people to look like good people. And uh, conversely, or also like look at Angelina on season 37, Uh, uh, such an intelligent, wise, fantastic human being who was edited to be made to look crazy. And so I think the power of the edit was really conveyed here. And suddenly this, we were like this, this side of Jonathan was revealed to us, but it's like, this is Jonathan. We just didn't mm-hmm. know it until episode nine. Mm-hmm. And it's a really strange choice. While I enjoy, like I said, the roller coaster of watching characters sort of ravel and unravel, it also is like, ugh. I mean, we saw glimpses. Like we saw his little fights with Marianne when he threw the bamboo down on her feet and then smashed oh. it with the machete. Like we saw glimpses of this, but I feel like his edit has been so heroic that they know that it's leading up to this, and particularly this tribal council moment, is a bizarre choice, in my opinion. Yeah. I wonder how Mr. Jeff feels about all of this. Yeah, I, me too. Okay. Well, let's go to the blue tribal council here, because they walk in. Now, something that I have complained about in the past with this twist is that I don't believe that the second tribe to go to tribal council should see who was voted out. I don't think the person should join the jury immediately. Now, in this case, it led to a very fascinating tribal council, but it just it gives an unfair advantage to that second team because the whole point of splitting the teams is so that they can't communicate, they can't know what's going on on the other team. When the second team comes in and sees who was voted out, well, that can totally change their plans as it did. And as Drea said, you know, you have to like take this into account. There was a shocking vote out. One of Drea's closest allies since the beginning of the game, Roxroy, is now on the jury. Like, what the hell happened? And so although Drea wasn't necessarily in the po- in the position of power to change the vote, it does send a signal to everybody else that something went awry and somebody in the majority alliance was targeted and taken out. I completely agree. Also, they, the reward from that challenge was the kebabs, right? But this really is the reward. The reward is mm-hmm. that you get to sit in on the tribal. So which is it? It shouldn't be both. And to your point. Well, I they're not sitting in on tribal, but they're seeing who the jury member is. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. They're seeing who the jury member is, which is essentially a reward. But also only one person won that challenge and it was Jonathan. And basically all four of the losers of that challenge are benefiting from Jonathan's win. It's like they're getting a huge advantage in this game just by proxy of the draw of being in the same, you know, uh, tribe or team, whatever, for this episode as Jonathan. So I really, 
in addition to agreeing with you that I think it's unfair, it's also just four people didn't like lost a challenge, but gained this huge reward, which just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. So just seeing them walk in, though, I feel like was <laughs> so iconic to see everybody's mouths just agape. You just don't get those kind of reactions, uh, genuine, genuine reactions uh, in that way where you can kind of like see uh, the the shock of the gameplay, the shock of the real world that's about to come up. And uh, I did think that that moment was great, though. I still don't think that they should see the jury member at that point. But of course, this leads to a conversation about race because our jury is now made up of Chanel and Roxroy. Of course, this team has no idea why Roxroy was put on the jury. And I think that that's what makes this so complex because ultimately Roxroy was put on the jury because he was not going to align himself with Drea, Marianne, Lindsay, or Tori who are all the women on this team, because of course, Jonathan is the only man on this team. And they have no way of knowing that. And so all they can see, uh, like, like we say on Survivor, perception is reality, all they can see is a jury made up of two black people. So Drea talks about how great it was that there were four black contestants and Survivor, and now two of them are on the jury. Uh, she says, uh, that, you know, this happens all the time, that Black people go out early in the game, and that Marianne chimes in that, you know, that can tend to be a subconscious decision. There's something uh, playing into it. It may not be uh, racist, but it there may be an unconscious bias playing into this. And Drea reveals that, look, I'm going to play my idol tonight because I'm not going to be the third black person to join the jury. And that's what I feel like I have to do. And so then, of course, that kicks off a live tribal where um, Drea says, well, let's vote Tori out. So they all agree, let's vote Tori out. And Marianne turns before I think this plan gets to her because clearly the plan was to vote for Drea. I think clearly going into tribal, the plan was target Drea. And I think... I think that probably Lindsay was successful in making the uh, split be on Tori. That's my guess. And Marianne turns to Tori and says, I'm sorry, but I, I will not be voting Drea tonight. Uh, I just can't do it. Morally, I feel an obligation not to put another black person on the jury. And, you know, they have this whole conversation where I feel like Drea spoke uh, very eloquently. Marianne spoke very eloquently about what it means, what the perception is, and how they feel that they have come into the game uh, with, I think Marianne called it a burden that other people don't have, talking about how, yes, there are 18 people with an equal shot at a million dollars, but that it's not an equal shot because of the baggage that is brought into the game based on your lived experience. So uh, it's a fascinating conversation. I mean, we had a conversation similar but different to this in 41 uh, in, of course, that episode where Liana went out. Uh, but what did you make of how this came up in this episode? Well, can I ask a question, though? I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but just so I make sure I'm clear. So 
So Mary Ann went into that tribal with the intention to vote out Drea, right? And I that so. plan. Okay, so this is sort of adds to my confusion here where I understand, right? It's different perhaps in her mind to see three black members on the jury and have her be the only remaining black person in the game versus two, but she was targeting another black person and a black woman prior to seeing Roxbury on the jury, which just lends itself, again, speaking about my what I feel is very confusing story editing, it's like all of a sudden race became a conversation in the game, but she went in there targeting a black woman. The only other black woman still in the game, the only other, you know, so it's just, that's the part of it that is confusing to me. And no doubt, perhaps in that moment, she saw that and, you know, something clicked for her and, and her intentionality changed, but I still think that that's the part of the this that remains confusing for me. But mm. is, is that am I seeing it correctly? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, of course. I think I think it's quite clear that Marianne was going to vote Drea out, and then I think seeing and she knew Chanel was on the jury, and I think seeing Roxroy on the jury, and I have no idea what Marianne's relationship was like with Roxroy, but I think probably. Drea's reaction to seeing Roxroy on the jury. And remember that Roxroy is one of Drea's closest allies in the game, if not closest ally in the game. And so uh, I think that there's probably a lot going on for Drea in this moment. And I think that Drea's reaction probably snapped Marianne out of the game for a moment and that she felt a solidarity with Drea in that moment and said, whoa, 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 wait a second. Like, I'm doing all this for Jonathan and like these other people yeah, that I don't yeah. know when, you know, there are much bigger issues. And also remember the context of this. This was filmed in early 2021, uh, right off of the events of 2020, just like in 41, where that was a, a big conversation. I feel like I feel like they're specifically not making it a conversation in this because we're now so far removed from 2020. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I would suspect that. So I, I just feel like it was a moment where Marianne snapped out of the game and went, you know what? I think that things are changing for me right now in this very moment. How that's going to play out in the future, like whether Marianne and Drea become an alliance, I, I think is still up for debate but i think she was just like look looking at this situation we have somebody else here that we can vote out that will not impact my game and let's for you know the sake of doing something greater than eliminating an idol in this game just pivot for one moment here yeah, like that's I, kind I, of how I read the situation. That makes sense. I think it's just that I hope that that's something that Marianne is afforded the opportunity to speak about, whether it be, I mean, hopefully yeah. during the reunion, maybe in a postmortem interview, but it's just something I would like to hear her perspective on because I'm just saying as a viewer, it it was a little difficult to thread the needle on. Um, but to your earlier question of like, what did I make of this moment? I mean, I obviously thought it was very powerful. Um, it was interesting uh, watching the two of them both speak, especially from their different lived experiences. And also the fact that Drea is a lot older than Marianne. I thought like the age difference between them showed through in a really, in a good way, right? Um, and then I think Jonathan, you know, revealed who he is once again mm -hmm. in a really... Uh, awful way, but that is who he is. And I would prefer, like I said earlier, 
that your survivor show people in all of their complexities. And that is who he is. It shouldn't be edited to be any other way. So I'm glad that they showed all of that. Um, I had a reaction to watching um, him holding Drea's head at the end yeah. of the vote. Um, obviously, that's, you know, she chose to do that. And that's her prerogative, of course. Um, I didn't love that, though. It was just one of those things where it's like, it just sucks that because there are so few people there and sometimes you just, you you know, you want physical contact or you want to be held and whatnot and you look around and it's like the options are limited, but I just... Well, uh, but like, I also I also wonder, I also wonder from her perspective, how much does she feel like she has to do that? Right. That's, that's very, very interesting. And also too, it's like moving forward, if Drea and uh, Marianne do decide to align, how publicly can they do that? Or like, do they feel now given this conversation that that would put a target on them or yeah, or what? And then also not for nothing. I'm very curious how this conversation uh, gets conveyed to the four other players um, back Mm -hmm. at tribal. Um, That is very, very curious. All of whom are POC themselves. So it's like, how do you then go back and and then also they need to hear about the Roxbury vote. So I think it's very interesting to see where we'll pick up in episode 10. Yeah. Now, what do you make of the fact that they, of course, had no vote and they, they not only did they have no vote, uh, but of course, at this point, so Marianne and Drea play their idols together. I think Marianne... Love the moment of them both lifting up from the yeah. seat at exactly the same time. Yeah. It was a very powerful moment. I will say from a game perspective, I don't think Marianne had to play her idol at all. I don't think she did either. And it sucks that like, like to to take this one step further, it's like now she had to give up her idol for this moment. Right. And we had a voice memo from somebody that uh, I can't play. I'm sorry, we're running out of time for voice memos, so I can't get to any of them, but I think we've addressed a lot of it. But I want to say that we had a voice memo from somebody who said, you know, I wish that somebody had said a white player would never be in the position where they would have to give up a tool in the game as a show of solidarity. You know, it's just not something that a white person would ever have to consider. Did Marianne make the right decision in the game? I don't know. But it was the right decision for her morally and to take a stand and to show solidarity with Drea. Like that was the decision that she made. And it, it could benefit her in the game. I don't know. It could, but I also was a little bit confused by her messaging of like, this is for future Black Survivor players because the way I I don't think she made a great move game-wise. And so I'm not sure what the message is. I, I guess her intention is to say, if you have a tool at your disposal, you know, you don't want to get blindsided. Like, don't allow yourself to go home with an idol, as has been the case with past players. But like, Yes, sometimes, but there are other times that you should hold on to that idol because you'll need it down the line. I just don't think it's so like, it's so situational that I'm not sure there's like a lesson to take away for future players about how to play one's idol. And it's it's disappointing, particularly for Marianne, as she seems to be on the bottom or she was on the bottom prior to this episode. And Drea has an arsenal of other tools that mm-hmm. she still has at her disposal to continue using. It seemed like if anyone would need an idol of those who had one, it would be Marianne. So it's disappointing that she did it, but I also think that she had her reasons. She expressed those reasons and she made a powerful statement in using it. So it um, was great television. 
Yeah, I do also wonder whether there's an aspect. Uh, I've become of the belief ever since our conversation with Sophie on this podcast, uh, where she said, I believe that idols are grenades in the game and it's better not to have one. Um, and I think we've, we saw this play out in Australian Survivor in the past se- last season, where it was like, I want to get rid. I don't want my idol. I'm going to waste my idol. I'm going to flush my own idol because like this is creating a target on my back that is not worth it. The risks are outweighing the benefits of having an idol. And I think for Marianne, that may have been the case. I mean, we saw when, although it was a decoy vote, Jonathan pitched to Drea, we're going to get Marianne because we want her idol gone. Yes. Right? Also, so, one thing, yeah, one thing idol-wise that I've been thinking about, because so now the only idol in play is Mike's. Drea is aware of it. Drea has a steal of vote, or excuse me, the steal of the idol, knowledge is mm-hmm. power. But I think she's on some level working with Mike. So a great strategy for Drea moving forward is to share that intel with Mike, have Mike give his idol to another player and have Drea take it. So when they're using it, basically use her and Mike can team up together to take another player out as opposed to Drea using it against Mike. She can use it with her ally Mike to take out somebody else. But it would be performative. No, no, no. You give it to another player so that they think that they have an idol. Oh, so that they think that they're safe. They're not. Yeah. And then send them home. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, interesting. You can essentially like backdoor someone together. I feel with like Mike. that would be very hard to talk Mike into giving his idol somebody so that you can take it and use it. You know, like that would be a great opportunity to get rid of Mike. <laughs> fair enough. Fair. Yeah. Well, it okay, would be a, I, would I, I would love to see it. I would love to see it. I would love to see it. So, of course, they they do not vote. They talk about whether they're going to send home Tori or Lindsay. It's very clear. Everybody uh, is siding with Lindsay here. She is an original Taku. And Tori has been on the outs uh, for quite a while now. Uh, there was a great moment where Tori says, like, so why why would you vote for me? And everybody just gives their reasons. Like, well, I don't trust you. I've never liked you. We've been gunning from each right. for each other since the beginning. And Tori's like, oh, okay. Well, so I'd like to play my shot in the dark. Um, so this was confusing because it's like, I, look, I, I get that just like, maybe we don't need to vote, but like, eh, I didn't think they needed to vote. They needed to vote. They needed to vote Yeah, because so game. much can it's come right. up in a vote. And yeah. of course, like they told Tori, well, vote for Drea anyway, despite all of this. Right. And of course they played the idols before the vote because there wasn't going to be a vote, but that probably wouldn't have been the case. And so it's like, it would have been fascinating to see how would this have shaken out? Would Drea still have gotten the majority of votes? Right. Also, Drea and Marianne would have been afforded the opportunity to talk directly to the audience at the booth, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think that could have been a really powerful moment, especially with Marianne being like, hey, to future Black Survivor players, it's a moment where like, you literally have an opportunity to interact directly with those viewers that was lost because of that. So I didn't love that. I also do want to say, though, big night for atheists out there because, you know, we suddenly got Tori <laughs> with God-loving Tori um, emerge, and she was like, you know, if God wants me to stay, I will stay. Well, God, either God did not want her to stay or there is no God. So either way, uh, Tori, bye-bye. And, 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 you know, maybe now she can, um, you know, Go back to her life of spreading anti-vax uh, misinformation. Yeah, uh, she. Uh, uh, yeah, I think on the way out, did she not say, "God makes mistakes sometimes." Oh God. <laughs> yeah, I'm creating yeah, her. Well, yeah. Well, look, we we lost a legend here today with Tori, uh, but I think it was uh, the the 
the only option, right? Like, yeah. Unfortunately, we couldn't get Jonathan out. I think Jonathan's days are numbered. His days are either numbered or he's being dragged to the end as a go. Because after that, I don't know yeah. what kind of relationships he's going to have. Okay. Wow. Well, big episode. We have to wrap it up because we're on a tight time crunch here today. But we will have much more to talk about next week when we are recapping episode 10 of Survivor 42. Uh, next week, we are, fingers crossed, having our long-promised interview with a Survivor legend, which uh, will maybe either come out late next week or early the following week, but it's going to be so worth it. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of that. Rate, review. We've seen some great reviews come in. Thank you. And don't forget to comment the face-melting emoji on our Instagram. It's going to be fun. Okay, update your iOS. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.